It's Friday, December 10th. Good morning to my pal Chivers. Good morning to my sister Megan. It's their birthday today. Is there a day on the calendar that jumps out at you? December 10th has always been a big one for me. Love those two. This show is presented by the amazing team at Bitcoin Well. Our presenting sponsors since day one, more than 200 Bitcoin ATMs in Canada, even more internationally. You know, for those of you that are that are steering corporate decisions, did you know that more and more people are offering uh, the option of employees getting paid in Bitcoin? It's the employer Bitcoin savings plan. You can learn more about the benefits of buying and holding Bitcoin for your business at BitcoinWell.com. You can link to their website. Get in touch with them under the Sponsors tab on ours, RyanJesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. We've got a great Real Talk roundtable coming up in about a half hour from now. It's our Friday tradition live at 9 o'clock Mountain, 11 o'clock Eastern. We're going to be talking about Olympic Uh, decisions to boycott or not diplomatic athlete or otherwise looking forward to this conversation with olympian neville wright he'll be joining us he's represented his country three times chris alexander has represented his country in a different way a former canadian diplomat and eric morse uh, who was involved in the 1980 boycott moscow games u.s said no canada said no among the nations that said no eric arguing in the globe and mail recently that a diplomatic boycott of the beijing olympic games would put athletes in danger well that's exactly what canada has committed to a diplomatic boycott that is along with the americans along with other countries i think new zealand hoyles isn't new zealand in on this one as well they australia. were like australia uh they were uh, among the first to announce mm-hmm. after the americans did what are going to be the implications of that plus perception of our home province of Alberta. This is some national polling that caught our eye a while ago, a short while ago. Maru Public Opinion talked to 1,500 people across the country. Uh, The results of the poll suggest many Canadians think Alberta is a good place to raise a family, a good place for a young person to pursue a career, but only half of the Canadians that responded that live outside of Alberta say they'd actually feel comfortable living here. I don't know if that's just one of those numbers that jumps out of the page, jumps off the page because you go, hang on a second, wait a second. I love living here. Why wouldn't people love living here? Come on. Until you actually wrestle with the question, would you feel comfortable living somewhere else? Would you like to go live in Nova Scotia? Or would you feel comfortable living in Saskatchewan or Manitoba or Nunavut or wherever? And so we'll get into this with a public policy researcher, Robert Falconer, who's been making some interesting points on social media over the last few days. And one of our favorites, uh, we don't mind saying that out loud, political analyst, Sapria Dovetti. That's coming up in about seven, eight minutes from now. Sarah Hoyle's also keeping an eye on news of the day. And there's an interesting story out of New Zealand, because I wonder if we may hear stories like this from more countries in months and year in years to come. New Zealand plans to eventually ban all sales of cigarettes what's the deal yeah their plan is is next year it's going to become law so it's it's happening and what it will do is if anyone is 15 uh, anyone that's 15 at that time they will not have access any sorry under the age of 15 will be barred from for life yeah. for buying cigarettes. So basically it's It'll progressive. Be grandfathered in. Yeah, so it's it's progressive. So once they turn 16, still banned and everyone under that age limit. So the way that it all works out is by 2050, people aged 42 and older will still be able to buy tobacco products, but anyone younger would not. Okay, so basically all this means is that people are going to get their 
older friends, their older siblings, or the kind little old lady across the street to buy them smokes. Boot them, yeah. Yeah, to boot smokes. What do you think about this? You're shaking your head, Sam. Do you think it's good policy? you think it's effective? you think it's a move in the right direction? I'm very anti-smoking, but I also think that it's not really smart policy. Like, I think that it's... It's one of those things, much with a lot of things, that it's just going to drive it underground. And that's, you know, now we've gone from a regulated environment to an unregulated environment. There's safety concerns that come into play. There's totally lots of concerns that come up. So, yeah, I'm not. market, so to speak. Yeah. So, you know, it's 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 a tough issue. What do you think? Do you think it's good policy, Sarah? No. No. What, What don't you like about it? Uh, to be boring I agree 157% oh, I, That is just the most Annoying thing of all time When people do something More than 100% Well then I am 100%. I am 150% annoying now. <laughs> 100% is the top But you agree with like So for you It's all the same things Like ineffective public policy Safety concerns Opening up the black market All those Those are the yeah, points Yeah it drives it Underground and makes it so I mean the demand Will still be there Yeah It's just how are people Going to get it And I want to make sure That there's I mean, I would like to make sure because I'm the boss of New Zealand, apparently. Yeah. Um, that, um, yeah, safe supply. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I guess, you know, limiting access to something, especially for young people, can probably be effective. Uh, maybe that. Maybe that. I don't even need the qualifier of probably. Maybe you can. You can assert it is effective. It will be effective because it'll be less readily available. Uh, at the same time, and, and and these are all sort of like random thoughts that can be woven together. I also agree with people that would suggest that that, uh, you know, cigarettes or tobacco imposes a disproportionate strain on the healthcare system with regards to heart disease and lung disease, lung cancers and everything that comes with smoking. Um, you know, I, people will also argue that cigarettes and tobacco products are taxed very heavily. I can't talk about New Zealand, but I can sure talk about here in Canada. We can talk about where we live. I think cigarettes. Now, I don't know exactly how much they are packed, but they're about 20 bucks a pack. They're about a like they're about a dollar a cigarette. Right. And uh, n- never mind chewing tobacco. Like a, a, a tin of chew now is like 30 something dollars. It's wild. In the U.S., a tin of chew is like three bucks, four bucks, maybe. So they're, they're they are heavily taxed. Um, you know, people will say, well, is this all about dollars and cents? Probably not totally. And then do you have to get into the and don't roll your eyes? Seriously, do you have to get into the personal rights conversation? Uh, you, you didn't make a point today, so I'm stealing it from you because you made an interesting point yesterday, which is a very good point. What about indigenous people to whom tobacco is a sacred offering? Uh, tobacco is a, is a sacred element of, of ceremony, uh, making it inaccessible. And perhaps there's a caveat. Perhaps there's like an asterisk that allows uh, indigenous New Zealanders uh, you know, to, to purchase or acquire tobacco. I'm not sure. Uh, but, but if you were to rule out or, or make illegal tobacco, period in Canada or the United States I wonder how that might fly yeah I think that there needs to be clarity around that because absolutely that would be in my mind very problematic um, so the idea that cigarettes I could I can understand there needing to be legislation around it how it's done like more than there already is because it's already you've got to be 18 to buy smokes I think right mm. don't you 16 or 18 18 probably <laughs> Yeah, who knows? Like it's like we don't have a we don't have a we don't have a studio of people that are out buying smokes. Um, and no problem if you're a smoker. I mean, it's gnarly. You already know that though. Smokers know it's disgusting. They just love it. Um, you know, they're also you know could potentially be addicted to it. So yeah, it's not sure, like sure. And it's not like anybody doesn't know that it's bad for them. 
How glorious it must have been in the 1940s and 1950s. I'm making my way. Almost, I'm almost done the TV series Peaky Blinders. Oh, yeah. And all they do is smoke, smoke. and drink. Uh, in the in the the late 1910s into the 1920s, all they do is drink and smoke. And it would have been actually. I mean, if 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 let me say this: if smoking was good for you, I would crush darts. I would crush them. Smoking to me has always been like the, I shouldn't be saying this, kids earmuffs, but it's always been very like glamorous. Oh yeah, and very cool. Oh yeah, right. That's how they get you. And then you find out how bad it is for you, and you know. But back then, they didn't know. So, you know, I guess maybe they get a little bit of a pass. But and then it, even when they did know, they kind of stuck their head in the sand until they were forced. Their hand was forced. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, t- Big Tobacco had something to say about policy that would step mm-hmm. in the way of, of multi-billion dollar revenues every year. So do you mind putting up a poll, an unofficial unscientific twitter poll from our real talk rj twitter account and let's just keep the question i mean form it how you like but i think a simple question would you support canada outlawing tobacco products including cigarettes yes or no uh maybe do we need to give people like a maybe or a conditional we love the conditional come on we do but it kind of like messes with the poll sometimes sometimes i think it needs to be yes or no make a tough decision make a difficult decision i'll leave that up to you sarah hoyle is the editorial producer of the show you are 150% able to put up a good question. 157. 157 yeah, on, in there. On our, on our official Twitter account. Um, are we ready to rock with our first conversation? Okay, in just a second. And, and, and I'll just let you know, I'm going to start right off the bat with that question. It's going to have nothing to do with living in Alberta, perceptions of Alberta. I'm going to ask Robert and Supriya how they feel about smokes. That coming up in just a second. But let's remind you today on this December 10th that the McBain holiday sale continues. You can read all about it at McBainCamera.com. You can save $400 on the Fujifilm X-T4 camera body. This has been custom built for photography and videography to give you the tools you need, the ultimate hybrid image-making tool. Right now, it's just $18.99.99 with 24-hour delivery available if you're in our hometown of Edmonton. You can check out their in-store pickup as well, available at all six locations if you want to hold this thing in your hand, see how it feels hear that 26.1 megapixel sensor in action body image stabilization i mean this is a beautiful rig you can check it out at mcbaincamera.com or of course uh check out all the fujifilm holiday deals as well online mcbain create to inspire it's a big weekend coming up for our friends at breathe outdoors you know them formerly known of course as campers village a beautiful new rebrand Coming up this weekend, their winter adventure sale. It starts today. It's on right now. 40% off selected gear. Now, select items only, of course. You're getting 40% off, right? But a nice range, a variety of clothing, equipment, footwear, travel items, whatever it is that floats your boat or whatever it is that excites the loved one in your life that loves to get outside. The best way to find out what's on sale is to sign up for their Campers Club. It's a newsletter that's got some great perks itself. You can figure out everything you need to know at breatheoutdoors.ca slash campers dash club and let's talk about bourbon for a moment will we we are just i mean i'm not sounding the alarm i just want to put information in front of you so you know we're down to our final few bottles of the real talk cask number one bourbon our project in collaboration with woody creek distillers 
Uh, William H. Macy and his team out of Colorado, Woody Creek, Colorado. The rave reviews for our cask number one bourbon. There's only ever going to be one cask number one, 210 bottles total. Just a few left in Edmonton. You can pick it up at Sherbrooke Liquor and Whiskey Drop. If you're in Calgary, you'll find it at Vine Arts while supplies last. And of course, you can browse your favorite liquor store for other Woody Creek products. They've made their Canadian debut just a few days ago. All right, we'll be getting into perceptions of Alberta and where you'd live in Canada in just a second. But let's talk about smokes. These two have not been expecting this question, I don't suppose. But those are the best conversations. Gut reactions, gut instinct. Robert Falconer is a researcher at the University of Calgary School of Public Policy. He specializes in immigration and refugee-related issues. He's got an interest in poverty and housing. Sapria Devetti is senior counsel at Enterprise Canada. She's the visiting researcher at Ryerson University, a panelist on CBC's Power and Politics, and a member of the Real Talk Ed- editorial board it's great to see you both Sapria. new zealand is is grandfathering into i say grandparenting now maybe grandfathering in uh cigarettes uh, they'll be illegal for kids 15 years old and then as those kids grow up year by year so will the policy they'll get to a point ultimately where cigarettes will be outlawed for the entire population i want to ask both of you about this what's your initial gut instinct on the policy I mean, my initial gut instinct is that it's really fucking stupid because you're only going to drive this further in terms of the black market um, being able to have basically a monopoly when it comes to anybody who's under a certain age. I think what's interesting here, without knowing the full, you know, legal uh, ins and outs in, in, in New Zealand, I'll be really interesting to see if there's actually like a constitutional challenge mounted on this basis, because it's like, I'm not really sure why tobacco would be the only one thing that would arbitrarily be picked out out of the whole gamut of things that are you know bad for us yeah great point robert you're a policy guy what do you make of this policy out of new zealand well i actually think supreme put it really really well it's a really good way to create a black market um and i don't think it'll accomplish exactly what the new zealand government's hoping it'll accomplish uh all the evidence suggests that that what we call sin taxes, taxes on tobacco and alcohol actually do work pretty well. They, they do discourage uh, smoking and drinking to the extent that we, we decide as a society is not desirable. And uh, they fund themselves, um, interestingly enough. There, there's evidence to suggest that the t- taxes on tobacco and alcohol actually um, help fund the healthcare system to a greater extent than uh, people who smoke or drink um, will use the healthcare system because of those issues. So yeah, I, I, I completely agree with Supriya. It's a, it's a really, really good way to create a black market. Okay, I want to get to the the, the story. The reason why we brought both of you here, uh, new national polling, relatively new within the last week uh, from Maru Public Opinion. They talked to about 1,500 Canadians across the country. Uh, The results suggest that many people think Alberta, our home province, is a good place to raise a family or for a young person to pursue a career. But just about half of the Canadians polled who reside outside of Alberta say they'd actually feel comfortable living here. Uh, For the benefit of the people that are going to be watching this on YouTube throughout the day, and we'll describe it for people tuning in on the podcast, let's get a sense of of where Albertans lined up with regards to the rest of Canada. So Alberta is a place where where I would feel comfortable living. Obviously, big numbers from people, you know, living in Alberta, not so much the rest of Canada. When it came to, like we said, raising a family, career moves, a young person moving here, views are for the most part aligned. Obviously, Albertans tend to favor, uh, you know, the promise of their own province more than others may Some interesting trends as well I'll get into later with regards to how our politicians are perceived, how Albertans views on climate change are are perceived. Uh, A guest that was on the show a couple of days ago, Dr. Andrew Leach, pushed this out with a tweet where he said, ouch, so much ouch. 
And then, Robert, you responded with this, which is what caught our eye. I really appreciated your response, and it made an interesting one. You said, I know being a welcome place does not equal the number of immigrants welcomed, but check this out. Can you take us into the data and and where your head went when you saw this polling? Yeah. Um, first off, the one that, that caught my eye with Andrew was, of course, the this perception of Alberta as being a welcoming place for for newcomers to Canada, uh, immigrants and refugees. And I thought that was particularly fascinating that that to the rest of Canada, Alberta seems like a less welcoming place for newcomers than perhaps other provinces might be. And where this was shocking to me or um, fascinating for, is another word to put it, um, is the fact that Alberta on a per capita level accepts far more refugees than any other province or any other jurisdiction in all of North America by far that that red line that you see there at the top if you're if you're um, viewing the the stream right now shows Alberta way ahead of other provinces and other US states as far as the number of refugees admitted uh, on an annual basis by, by a considerable amount. Um, and then when you consider other types of immigration, economic immigration, family reunification, Alberta is also near the top of the pack, uh, along with actually Manitoba and Saskatchewan, interestingly enough. And the way that I put it was that um, while we tend to think of places like Toronto as being the hubs of di- diversity in Canada, and there's good reasons for that, as far as the latest immigration trends go, you as an Albertan are far more likely to meet a refugee or a newcomer um, in your community than, than people in the rest of the country are. Uh, and, and that's fascinating for, for a number of reasons. Supriya, do you think it's relevant? I mean, is the point a strong one? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it just really points to the fact that Alberta needs better brand managers, right? Um, to, to the point that was just made with respect to Toronto in particular being this like flag bearer when it comes to multiculturalism or diversity or being able to encounter somebody who's like a new or newer Canadian, right? I mean, that wasn't exactly an accident. I think there's been a lot of effort, um, whether consciously or not, put into making Toronto this like and Ontario maybe a little bit more generally as this like super welcoming place, even though it might not necessarily be borne out in the data. And I, and I think you have a situation in which sometimes those that are, um, you know, sought to be the representatives of the great province of Alberta don't always do Albertans and their own province um, a favor in positioning Alberta in these certain ways, which then, you know, trickle down to the rest of the country. You know, it was fascinating in these numbers. We're talking about the flag bearers and the representatives and the spokespersons. Uh, obviously, elected political leaders are right at the top of that list. When you're talking about the provinces, the only element, the only question where Albertans polled lower than the rest of the country on these questions was around the respect for Alberta's premier, Jason Kenney. Isn't that interesting? Albertans were ahead of the polling when asked if it's a place you feel comfortable living a place to pursue a career whether or not we care about other canadians whether we share the same values that is albertans with one another they all lead the rest of the country but when it comes to whether or not you respect alberta premier jason kenny albertans about 28 percent said yeah i respect him about 41 percent of the rest of the country said yeah i respect him robert what does that say to you i think it says to me that um there's an interesting divide here in Alberta that that the dissatisfaction with with the current premier, and I'm, I'm not a, a political analyst necessarily, but the dissatisfaction with the premier uh, is a hyper localized event that actually goes across both sides of the aisle. Um, you have those who might be more traditionally aligned with the 
Wild Rose Party, those who might be aligned with the NDP, um, and who who dislike the premier or his actions for various reasons. Uh, but when you get outside of Alberta, even if you belong to a party or you align yourself politically with with a group in your in another province that might be might might be considered sort of like a Wild Rose equivalent, uh, you might not have that that local attention on the premier's actions within Alberta. So your dissatisfaction with the premier outside of Canada might be, might be more particularly aligned with liberal left leanings. Um, but if you're maybe a conservative outside of Alberta, you just simply might not be paying as much attention to the hyper-local nature of Alberta politics and the, and the wild rose specific concerns with the premier. Sapria, you're kind of our rest of Canada panelist today, <laughs> born and raised Quebecer, making a living now raising your young family in Ontario. So, I mean, are you surprised to see that? I mean, I think that Robert, to be honest with you, just hit the nail on the head there. But but with regards to brand management or brand improvement, I mean, does this fall in the lap of the premier or something like this? Yeah, I mean, I think so. And I think it's hard to separate um, the pandemic, right, from everything that has happened. And I would imagine that if you're on the ground in Alberta and, you know, we're dealing with the fact that you just had, let's say, your, you know, your own surgery or loved one surgery canceled because of pandemic mismanagement um, and the very odd choice in July to declare the pandemic over, even though it very clearly was not, then you're going to feel that a lot more acutely and perhaps a lot more um, forcefully than you would be if you were in the rest of the country simply observing this. And one of the things, you know, you mentioned that I'm from Quebec. One of the things that I found particularly interesting is that Kenny's approval seems to be a little bit higher in Quebec even than the rest of the country has uh, pegged him for. So that to me is also a a bit of an interesting little data point that I'm not really sure how to explain other than the fact that when Kenny was, you know, a Harper era cabinet minister, he had a very good reputation. And I think that still um, sort of stays with him uh, for Canadians outside of Alberta. Yeah. Do you see this? I mean, I, I often I find it fascinating. Alberta's relationship with Quebec because I know that there's kind of this disdain that I mean I'm, I'm, I'm certainly stereotyping and painting with broad brushes but people are under the impression that that Albertans you know they, they have this resentment toward Quebec because they've been led to believe that Albertans are paying Quebec for Quebec's free daycare and obviously that's wrought with you know inaccuracies but uh, Quebecers I'm not sure how they feel about Albertans I want to ask you Supriya but for the most part I think that they probably don't pay much attention to Alberta that's probably accurate when you take a look at at polling like this or have a conversation like this, being a person that grew up in Quebec, do you see this through a specific lens? I see a lot of similarities between the two provinces as well. There are so many similarities between the two provinces. And it's so interesting that you describe that sort of mutual kind of disdain. But I think if that disdain that does exist is based on a lot of either misinformation or just like outdated perceptions, right? I think if you ask most Quebecers how they felt about Alberta when it came to things like climate change, they would probably peg Alberta as being, you know, behind the rest of the pack without necessarily realizing that when it comes to like things like wind and solar, being able to scale up uh, to the degree that we would need them for like utility uh, going forward, utilities going forward, uh, Alberta's like pegged to be a leader within the next like five or six years. Um, Robert, feel free to correct me in terms of the actual data on that, but I, I believe that that's more or less accurate. And yet that's nowhere 
in the general discussion when it comes to Alberta and energy, because we seem to just focus on the oil and gas stuff. And the other thing I will say as a Quebecer and having spent the vast majority of my life in Quebec is the fact that I would imagine if I were to move to Alberta tomorrow, right. And I started, I don't know, um, starting a pining on uh, Alberta's politics or policies people wouldn't be as quick to question my Alberta bona fides as they would necessarily as they do in Quebec. And and I think that is something that is not necessarily um, appreciated to the degree um, in the rest of Canada is that for, for Quebec and for Quebecers, you're almost never really Quebec enough unless you're white and Francophone. If you have a name like Sapria Devetti, it doesn't matter that I grew up in a rural part of Quebec and not some Anglo suburban bastion of Montreal. It doesn't matter that I speak perfect French and went to law school at a French university in Quebec, right? Because of my name, because of my skin color, and because of the fact that I also speak English, um, you sort of get pegged as, as, as having your Quebec credentials, so to say, um, questioned. And, and I, I, I don't think the rest of the country is really like that. Mm xenophobia essentially is what you're talking yeah. about right I and mean, that's first person lived experience uh robert how do you process what you're hearing from sapria there in the context of this conversation no i think sapria's hit it spot on um a couple things stood out to me yesterday when i was doing a little bit of background research and prep for this interview looking at some polling from environics they, they tend to pull issues of of diversity of inclusion of immigrants to to alberta um and the rest of the country and Sapria's right, you know, Alberta is um, slowly but surely becoming a leader in uh, renewable energy. Another aspect where, um, you know, Quebec and, and Alberta tend to align um, is on the views towards uh, what what types of immigration do we prefer? Albertans tend to prefer um, one area we are somewhat distinct from the countries. We do tend to prefer economic migration a little bit more than we prefer humanitarian immigration, hmm. which is interesting, despite the fact that we also accept more refugees per capita than any other part of the of, of North America. But on the other hand, um, there is a, quite a large distinction about how we view the diversity of cultures within society as well, too. Uh, there, there is perhaps this view of Alberta as being a little bit more conservative socially. Um, and while that's certainly true politically, um, if you look at polling, actually Alberta leads the country when it comes to views that multiculturalism and diversity is our unique Canadian value. A plura, about 38% of Albertans think that that is our, our chief uh, our chief Canadian value. Um, and that's about compared to about 31% of the country. And that's the highest out of any province. When you look at um, this idea that among this view among Albertans, do Albertans see immigrants as becoming included parts of their of their communities? Do they see them as truly Canadian? Um, that's another area where we lead, where, where Albertans uh, lead the pack, as we, we tend to view, um, at least response have shown that we tend to view uh, people who come here from other countries that do can and do become Canadian over time. At least we perceive them that way. Robert, um, sorry to interrupt ahead, sorry. you, but let me just ask you. So when you're talking and I think it's fascinating and I think the majority of Canadians would be surprised to learn a lot of what you're bringing to the table today. I'm grateful for it in the context of Alberta accepting the most refugees per capita of anywhere in North America, more immigration to Alberta than anywhere else in Canada. Is this a result of newcomers to Canada essentially being assigned to Alberta, is it a result of more affordable housing or more job opportunities in Alberta? Is it a result of good policy from Alberta? What is it? 
So I'm going to divide that uh, my answer in two parts. Um, first, on the economic side, I think on the economic side, absolutely, it's there. There's more affordable housing here in Alberta. There is uh, a good job market. Actually, the, the labor market outcomes of immigrants in Alberta are, is, are much better than the rest of the country. Um, incomes of immigrants to Alberta tend to be actually roughly on par with uh, native-born Canadians after about five or six years. Um, the employment rate of immigrants in Alberta tends to be roughly on par as well with uh, with native-born Albertans and, and native-born Canadians. Um, so economically, I think that, that plays a huge part of it. Um, and, and these are not people who are forced to come here. There are certain policies that the provincial level that can be used to attract um, immigrants to Alberta. There's this program called the uh, Provincial Nomination Program, where a province can nominate somebody to actually come and, and be a resident of Canada landing in Alberta. Um, but I think, by and large, you know, a number of economic policies do make it a very attractive place to live in Canada. Um, now, on the on the other side, on the humanitarian side, uh, this actually is absolutely a function of I think Alberta has a very long and robust tradition of resettling refugees. This is really dates back to the 1970s when you had the Indo-Chinese resettlement programs. And there was a huge, huge, I, I don't think we can under like overstate just how, how massive the volunteer response was in the prairies to accepting Indo-Chinese refugees. These are mostly uh, Catholics, Mennonites, other church groups that really stepped up to invite Indo-Chinese refugees into their homes, into the communities. And over time, those original volunteer organizations have actually become more formalized. There's a very large nonprofit network of nonprofit agencies in the prairies that are all designed about uh, receiving, resettling, and including refugees within the community. And, and to this day, actually, one of the, sorry, go ahead. No, no. Um, the, the only thing, the thing I'll just end on, most recently with Afghanistan, I don't know if many Canadians realize this, but Calgary, Alberta, is the port of entry for Afghan refugees into Canada. So they might go on to other places like Toronto or Halifax, but their original, their, their original landing site in Canada is Calgary, Alberta, and that is in large part due to organizations like Calgary Catholic Immigration Society and Center for Newcomers being such long-standing members of the resettlement community in Canada. Supriya, when it all comes down to it, you got to ask the question, does it matter? <laughs> right. And and if I know my fellow Albertans, a whole bunch will say, I don't give a flying fuck what the rest of the country thinks about us. I love this place and I'm happy to be here. And if you don't like us, fuck off. And and then I also know that there's also kind of this this undertone because I, I, I was born and raised in Calgary. And I know that Calgary's got a big chip on its shoulder when it comes to Toronto. And Calgary doesn't really care what Toronto thinks about it, except for Calgary desperately cares what Toronto thinks about it at the same time. It's just evident. And I think it's kind of funny. And in a way, it's endearing but at the end of the day when albertans or other canadians look at this poll does it really matter what canadians outside your own province care or think about your province i mean yes and no it ultimately i agree like to the fuck off kind of sentiment right because if you want to live somewhere else and you don't want to come here cool like we'll have fun with our great yeah. job market and our great housing market yeah. and the great place that it is to raise a family but if it's when it starts to affect um you know things like investment in the province and if it starts to in fact like it, essentially like the bottom line is what i'm talking about right if that starts to be affected then i think it starts to become an issue and then i think some of the fuck off mentality needs to do a little bit of introspecting and, and figure out how did we get to this um position like it's one thing if it's just you know 
a bunch of unimportant people popping off tweets here and there that are holding very, you know, antiquated or aggressive views about Alberta and Albertans. But it becomes a different thing when there's like a major company that is like, hmm, I don't know if we want to be in Alberta right now because of the political climate um, or because of the perception, whatever it may be. And so that's when I, th- I think the, the 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 difference sort of lies. Great points. That's Supriya Tavetti, a political analyst, senior counsel at Enterprise Canada, a visiting researcher at Ryerson University, and, and of course, uh, a valued member of the Real Talk editorial board, Robert Falconer, a researcher at the U of C's School of Public Policy. I'm grateful for both of your perspectives today. Thanks for this. Thank you. Yeah, have a great Thank weekend. You, I love that stuff. They took it in two different directions. Supriya's just such a straight talker. I love it. Somebody should do a show with Supriya. Our Real Talk Wine of the Month is Kendall Jackson. And let me tell you why I'm so proud to be partnering with the team at Kendall Jackson. In the year 2020, they were just awarded Green Company of the Year by the drinks business. This is a group that recognizes global sustainability leadership in the beverage industry. You can learn more about what they're doing at kj.com. Nice and easy URL for Kendall Jackson. But let me give you a couple of the highlights. You know, Kendall Jackson wines are produced with one third less water than industry standard. How cool is that? Their wines are, are vinted and bottled, leveraging the largest solar generator in the entire wine industry. And all of Kendall Jackson's estate vineyards and wineries are third-party certified sustainable. That's a big deal. You can learn more about the Kendall Jackson Winery online at kj.com. You can ask for Kendall Jackson anywhere you buy fine wines. And if you're tuned in from Calgary, check out at Co-op Wine, Spirits, and Beer. Kendall Jackson is on flyer this month. We encourage you to check it out. Our friends at Athabasca University, you know it's Canada's online university. They want me to remind you there's no better time to take that degree or maybe enroll in that master's program than there is right now. You can go to their website, Athabasca U, for more information. January is a time of renewal and new opportunities. If you've been thinking about going back to school, Athabasca University is a great option for you. You can study anytime and anywhere. Take as little or as much time as you need to complete the course or program. Athabasca U is as flexible as you need them to be. The team at Eden Landscaping, same sort of an idea. Don't fall asleep at the switch. If you've got a project in mind, you want to bring an outdoor space to life, whether it's your front yard, your backyard, maybe it's that new property you're super excited about. Now's the time to get in touch with Eden Landscaping because you never know with supply chain challenges and everything else in the mix, the project could end up taking a little longer than you think, especially when it comes to procuring those construction materials. Mike and his team have been in the game for a long time, more than 20 years. You can tap into his experience. They take you from design all the way through to completion at landscapeedmonton.ca. And our friends at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge want you to know that this weekend they're ready to show off their brand new selection of Ram 1500 trucks and the entire Jeep lineup, including that Jeep Wagoneer that everybody's talking about. You can browse their selection online. They've got all, I mean, the Jeep, the Grand Cherokee L I was telling you about the third row seating. That's a game changer for the most awarded SUV in history. And we're thrilled, by the way, to have St. Albert Dodge coming on board as a sponsor for our Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic. That goes January 29th. You can find out details under the events page at ryanjesperson.com you'll be able to see some of the jeeps there on display january 29th at our real talk pond hockey classic well it's been 
a talker, as we say, in the business for the last week and a bit. The Americans were first, President Joe Biden, to say that that country would be participating in a diplomatic boycott of the upcoming Beijing Olympic Games. They're set to go February 4th. Other countries, including Canada, soon to follow. The Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, making that announcement this week. But is it a good idea? Does it go far enough? Is it a step in the wrong direction? We wanted to reach out to three panelists with great depths of experience in analyzing these types of moves. Neville Wright is a former sprinter for Team Canada, a seven-time national champion and a three-time Olympian in the sport of bobsleigh. Chris Alexander is a former Canadian federal minister of citizenship and immigration, a former member of parliament and a former Canadian diplomat who worked on Russian affairs for 12 years, including two years at the Canadian embassy in Moscow. Eric Morse is a retired Canadian diplomat, an active member of the Royal Canadian Military Institute. He was head of international sports relations in the Canadian Department of External Affairs and has personal experience when it comes to those 1980 boycotts in Moscow. To the three of you, welcome to the show. Neville, I think I suspect I know where Eric and Chris may land on this based on stuff they've published over the last while, but I have no idea where you're going to land on this, so I want to go to you first. You know what it takes years of training and preparation to go to the most prolific sporting event on planet earth from an athlete's perspective what's your take on boycotts um my take on boycotts i mean i understand that um the importance of you know taking a stand with uh certain issues but you know the from the athlete perspective you know there's always a, a little bit of bias of how hard um athletes work how much time and effort and sacrifice i mean there are athletes that you know um, as far as like, you know, living out of their cars, trying to make these Olympic games to, you know, um, the financial stressors of, of doing it. So, I mean, you know, sometimes it might be their first time. It might be their, 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 their last time. And I think a boycott, you know, takes away opportunities for them for, you know, you know, in regards to supporting themselves, supporting their families. And also too, I look at it as that, but the, the games is more than just the Olympics for, for, for other people. I think a big part is, is about the athletes that are competing that have the impact on others as well, too. So having Im- impacts on, on youth, having impacts on um, just different individuals in, in which, you know, people watch the Olympics and are inspired by these athletes to make changes in their lives or, or um to 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 achieve greatness themselves so neville if you if you were set to go to beijing to compete in men's bobsleigh right now you would be saying uh whether or not the the, you know chinese tennis star and we're going to get into that story obviously a prominent one whether she's still unaccounted for or whether there's this 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 genocide against the uyghurs we're going to try to take politics out of sport you would be crossing your fingers saying come on canada no athlete boycott you would intend to go to those games um, I would look at the the situation and obviously, you know, we'd have to follow suit with whatever decision is made. However, you know, it would be the hope to have the opportunity to go. Cause I mean, if you even look at the, the, the percentages of people actually going to the Olympics, I mean, it's like 0.0001% of the world's population get to go and compete. So, you know, um, I think uh, once again, athletes do use their p- platforms uh, to, to support different initiatives and different issues. So I think it would be based on the situation um, as a whole. Fair answer. Uh, Eric, you were part of Canada's decision not to participate in the Moscow Olympic Games. Uh, How did today's circumstances compare to what was in play in 1980? Well, 
First of all, uh, I think this decision is one of the most pointless in the history of pointless Olympic decisions. Uh, the Chinese have already called us out on it. They say you, officials weren't even invited anyway. But at the same time, we've struck a nerve uh, or they wouldn't be making this much noise. If, uh, if I were to be advising the Politburo, I'd be saying, ignore the whole thing. But um, 40 years ago, we were dealing with a different opponent. Um, the USSR had nowhere near the um, uh, world present, uh, the world stature, stature outside of nuclear arms, of course, uh, that China does now. Uh, they're Trade levels were negligible, apart from wheat, and uh, it's very difficult to compare it. If, if I were to, say, do something, I would say you've got to go with a menu uh, across the board of economic uh, and other um, sanctions, but I don't see that happening. Chris, you've uh, I mean, your, your political career, your diplomatic career has seen you in some hot zones. Uh, you were in Afghanistan for several years, six years, I think, as Canada's ambassador and an official with the United Nations. Uh, you've been in Moscow, two tours at the Canadian embassy there. You've seen a lot. This tweet of yours, you're a great follow on Twitter. This one really caught my attention uh, on December 8th. A couple of days ago, you tweeted political leaders need to tell athletes the truth Attending Beijing 2022 normalizes genocide. The Nazis did just this in 1936 to avoid enabling crimes against humanity and start ending genocide. We need a full boycott. Take us into this. Well, it, we have to remind ourselves that there are blots on the UN record. Uh, I mean, there are countries that attended the 1980 games, um, as Eric will remember, in spite of the boycott by most democracies in response to the Soviet Union's invasion of Afghanistan at that time. But the biggest blot is back in the 1930s when great athletes like Jesse Owens and many Canadians as well were used, literally became window dressing props on a stage set up for both the winter and the summer games by Adolf Hitler as chancellor of Germany before he had started invading other countries and uh, before he had started the, the, the main phase of the Holocaust, the, 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 the annihil attempt to annihilate the Jewish people in Europe, uh, he used the games and he used all of our athletes to legitimize his power and grow his, uh, his, his reservoir of goodwill, which he had in all of our countries at that time. Um, now, the situation in China today is very different, obviously, much bigger country, but we, Canada, our House of Commons, uh, all the, I would say, I, I hope Eric and Neville agree with me, all the um, credible experts in the world now agree that a genocide is taking place in the Western part of, um, of China against Uyghur Muslim people. And there has been a similar policy used against the Tibetan people, Mongolian people, uh, as well as an effort, a successful effort, unfortunately, to shut down democracy in Hong Kong. These are steps that are similar, that are analogous to what other dictators have done 
including what Stalin, Mao, and Hitler did in those terrible decades of the 20th century. We shouldn't be seeing these things in the 21st century. Uh, And when we do see them, we have to vote with our feet. The Olympics reflect our highest ideals. What's going on in China is the antithesis of those ideals. Uh, And yes, I agree with Neville, athletes have a huge role to play. They inspire people. The Winter Games are sacred for Canadians. But we shouldn't be allow ourselves to be used as window dressing for for crimes against humanity. So, Chris, to be clear, you're calling for a full boycott. Canada sending exactly zero athletes to these games. Correct. Uh, our House of Commons, the one that was sitting prior to this last election, uh, voted back in February to ask the International Olympic Committee to move the games from Beijing because we agreed with the finding of genocide. Now we have agreed a diplomatic boycott uh, with other states, including the United States. I agree with Eric, it's meaningless. We need to follow up on our own decisions by making this a real boycott. It will have a real impact as the 1981 one did. Within months of of those games taking place, Solidarity had been founded in Poland uh, and a different dynamic took over in Central and Eastern Europe. Uh, And Eric, I want to pick your brain on this and then we'll get uh, Neville. We need the athletes perspective on this, of course. But Eric, your recent piece uh, in the Globe and Mail, which people should check out, the headline reads a diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Olympics would put athletes in danger. Does that mean you're calling for a full boycott or is that just your comments on the diplomatic boycott? Where do you stand on on sending athletes or not? I are going to have to stop agreeing or this is going to be a very (laughs) dull show. Yeah, I agree. But uh, no, I don't think the athletes should be going. I think this decision of the Chinese reaction to it have put them in danger. Uh, You ask what kind of danger? Because every show host so far has. And I would simply say we had the two Michaels detained for 1,020 days uh, over an incident that was far less high profile. And um, what are the Chinese going to do? If I could tell you that, I'd be big in the insurance business. So, well, Neville, is this the, is this the type of thing that, that would occur to an athlete? I mean, you know, uh, Chinese tennis star Peng Shui is, is uh, like on or off the radar, depending on who you believe. Uh, you know, a lot of people are very concerned about how she's being treated. Obviously, tennis, not even a Winter Olympic sport. But but I mean, is this the type of thing that would be occurring to Canadian athletes, their own personal safety? The fact that potentially they could put themselves or even their families at risk by participating? Um, um, Brian, when I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, no, Neville, you go ahead first. Yeah, so uh, I. You know, uh, we've had discussions, um, you know, we'll have a discussions with the, the Canadian Olympic Committee and and, um, I, you know, over my three, like I've competed in three Olympics and, you know, there's always, you know, some type of safety issue at some point. But I, I feel that, um, you know, they they go there, they make sure that everything is uh, in place to make sure that the, the safety and well-being of the athletes are there. Um, I feel that if it was probably in a situation where athletes would be in danger. Um, I feel that they would make the the right decisions for the athletes. So um, yeah, that's just my, my, my thought on that. Chris, is that possible? Is it possible to protect Canadian athletes, all of them uh, in a country like China, based on what we know? Yes, it's possible. Um, I agree. There's, there's uncertainty as Eric says, given what has happened to Canadians in the last couple of years, 
But I think the greatest danger isn't to the actual personal safety of our, of our athletes. It's the fact that we are going to be used as tools in a propaganda effort to cover up amaze, enormous crimes that are taking place in that country against uh, a significant minority of the Chinese population, as well as uh, a war that is taking place essentially against democracy in Hong Kong and an effort to undermine our democracies worldwide, which is led by two countries, Russia and China. Um, we shouldn't have our athletes in Beijing pretending that everything is fine with China because it's not. Uh, and we sent this message before in 1980. We went to Beijing uh, for the summer games. The situation has changed since then. Uh, and I think uh, we need to live up to the values of the Olympics that we really believe in, which are human dignity, a sense of human rights, a sense of freedom. None of those values uh, are being respected in China right now. And that's why we shouldn't go. That's Chris Alexander. Uh, we've also got Eric Morris and Neville Wright talking to us. In just a second, I want to ask the three of you about the role that the IOC plays here. I mean, wired nations one by one, even being forced to make this decision. First, I want to remind those of you that are tuned in that our friends at Kubi Energy are completing around the calendar year solar panel installation, residential, commercial, industrial, agricultural uh, in Alberta, B.C., Saskatchewan, and the Northwest Territories. If you're catching this from Western Canada, Kubi could be a great fit in getting you toward your sustainable energy goals. You can learn more about what they do. Check out their blog with a lot of great frequently asked questions and answers at kubienergy.ca. Don't forget that Kubi is proud to present positive reflections every Monday on the show. If something filled your bucket, made your day, we want to hear about it to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Our friends at Park Power, of course, powering the Real Talk hashtag at Real Talk RJ. That's the best way to get in touch with the show through the day to share our content, to let us know about what you think about conversations like we're having here. Park Power offers you an opportunity to compare rates when it comes to your electricity, natural gas, and internet. Don't forget, you have a choice who you get your utilities from. So why not go with the provider that backs your favorite show? and gives back in its community. 10% of all their electricity profits are given back to nonprofits. They're supporting community agencies. We love it. And the way they roll at parkpower.ca. Eric Morse joins us, a retired Canadian diplomat, former head of international sports relations, Chris Alexander, former MP, federal minister, and of course, a Canadian diplomat, and, and Neville Wright, who's, who's basically won it all. I um, mean, you take a look, 12 World Cup medals, unbelievable stuff, 2017 World Cup gold medalist. Neville, we don't have time to read about all your gold medals. That should say enough right there. I want to ask the three of you to all chime in on this. Eric, we'll start with you. Why do individual countries like the US and Canada and Australia and others have to come up with their game plan or their strategy on diplomatic athlete boycotts or otherwise isn't this the ioc i mean why is the ioc awarding china the games if it's such a problem right now the ioc owns the brand uh the ioc will defend the brand to the death uh you are never going to see uh the ioc act against its interests by doing something like withdrawing the games, even if moving them elsewhere were, were logistically possible. Um, I, in, in my old days in the department, I used to uh, compare them to the Roman Catholic Church and the Vatican. They're independent, sovereign only to, unto themselves. 
Now they answer to sponsors in 1980. That wasn't the case. So uh, they're caught in a way, but they will not make decisions based on the uh, based on the um, interests of individual states who are, by the way, not even members of the Olympic movement because those are Olympic committees. You talk about Dick Pound, if you call him the IOC member, uh, sorry, uh, the Canadian member of the IOC, well, he's not. Uh, He is the IOC's representative in Canada. And um, so we're dealing with somebody that we have no interface with. In other words, Eric, you're saying it's it's Dick Pound's job to represent the IOC perspective to Canada, not to represent Canada's perspective to the IOC, which is obviously exactly. a big difference. Exactly. Uh, Dick and I, and by the way, Dick and I spent more days on the phone to each other than off it in 1980. We became friends. I... Um, we were on opposite sides of the issue, but I feel very badly that his IOC career began with a boycott and looks like it might end with one. That's a very interesting point. Neville, when you're on the World Cup circuit, I mean, when you're competing at the highest level, you were a sprinter, you're a bobsledder. Uh, I would imagine, I mean, I'm kind of joking with the question, but but I mean, do you even know where you are all the time? You're traveling all over the world. Is it even relevant what country you're competing in? Are athletes even thinking about that? Or are you just thinking to, to achieve? I mean, you've got this laser fine focus on what you're looking to achieve. Are you even paying attention to all the noise that's swirling around? You know what? Um, as athletes, we are uh, aware of what's going on, but um, like you said, yeah, we do have that kind of that focus where it's like, you know, we have a um, end goal objective, whether it be to you know go to the Olympics or medal or world championships. So we are focused on that. So I think in regards to like politics, you know, um, athletes are more kind of like focused on the sport, and those that are kind of above dealing with the 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 polit- um political side of, of things you know we just hope that they would make um the the best choice and, and best judgment and you know i look at it where um you know with with everything especially right now with everything going on in the world and stuff like that and you know there are obviously issues and i mean it's been rough for many for over the last you know two three years i feel that you know with um with the olympics as well and what it represents as well it could it it's something that is uh, can be, like I said, empowering, enlightening for uh, other individuals and, and, you know, gives people hope as well, too, you know. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, as athletes, we try not to, I guess, get too much into the, the political side of things while we still do use our platform to take a stance on certain issues. And, and, and I want to have I would love to have a frank conversation, have all three of you chime in on this. And Chris will come to you next. But I mean, you know, you, you take a look at almost how athletes are put in a tough position sometimes. I mean, you take a look at some of the scandals. I mean, around Sochi, the cost of putting those games on it. it, it, I mean, the trend is that fewer and fewer nations are even interested in bidding for the Olympic Games anymore. And there's a lot of talk about whether or not, I mean, we can talk about excess and the infrastructure deficits. And and then there are also games that that work out marvelously, uh, including in Calgary in 88 and Vancouver in 2010 when amazing infrastructure was completed and, and they were a real economic boon for the host country. So there are pros and there are cons. Uh, Chris, I'm curious for your take on, I didn't ask you directly about the IOC. I mean, the IOC essentially puts every country and the athletes in these tough spots, don't they? Awarding games to countries like China amid such controversy. Uh, They do take those decisions and they won't be the ones that are, uh, that are, that are calling 
for a boycott in, in this case or in any other case where they've already decided where the games are going to be. But they're vulnerable when they take a decision to, host, to, to have the games, to allow the games be ho- to be hosted by a country that doesn't fully reflect Olympic values. The place does matter. Uh, and we have to ask ourselves, are those values important? Are the uh, investments of sponsors important? The hopes of all those athletes, Canadians and others who've been training for years, are they more important than the interests of millions of people, at least a million Uyghur Muslims who were in concentration camps in China? Uh, or the thousands of people who've been jailed because uh, China has shut down democracy in Hong Kong? or the millions of people in Taiwan who face the threat of Chinese invasion every day under this duly belligerent chairman of the Chinese Communist Party. This is not the right host for the Olympics. It doesn't reflect our values, uh, the Olympic values. And, and we should, yes, it's a different situation, as Eric says, the sponsors won't want to change things. The IOC won't want to change things. We're much more integrated with China economically than we ever were with the Soviet Union. Uh, but values still matter. And if we go and pretend that everything's fine without our diplomats and politicians, but with our hockey team on the ice, we will be extending the shelf life of a very dangerous political system that is that is wreaking havoc with the lives of millions of people inside China and trying to export that authoritarian model to other parts of the world. Uh, we shouldn't have the games there. This is an interesting uh, I want to get to some of our feedback from the audience that's tuning in live right now on our chat on YouTube. Hope wonders are the Olympics becoming, dare I say it, not worth it anymore because of the political and economic consequences. Eddie says Canadians really only want to boycott over the two Michaels, Kovrig and Spavor. Uh, I'm not even sure, says Eddie, that Canadians even know about the other human rights issues. Human rights issues were never a problem when we're getting our cheap goods at Walmart or when China's purchasing our bitumen. (laughs) Chris, you're nodding. (laughs) I'd love for your response to that. Well, I agree. Our values are, uh, you know, our, our, Commitment to human rights is totally out of whack with the way we trade. Uh, We are hard on ourselves about carbon emissions, about our carbon footprint, about trying to do better uh, for the planet. And yet we buy things from China to uh, a huge extent, a country whose emissions have skyrocketed in the last couple of years and who at the last conference showed next to no commitment to implementing the goals that we now all share. So the hypocrisy is on all levels. Uh, But the Olympics are a chance to show that we are finally punching through all that fog and finally taking the values that, you know, the Russians broke by cheating and doping, uh, that the Soviets broke by invading Afghanistan, that Adolf Hitler violated way back in 1936. We're taking those values seriously again because China is out of line on all of these fronts. Neville, you've worn the maple leaf uh, many times for your country at the highest level of competition. When, when an audience member like Eddie wonders, uh, you know, or hope, pardon me, wonders, are, are, are the Olympics even worth it anymore? Uh, you've been a World Cup champion uh, 12 times. Uh, where do the Olympics stack up? I mean, do you do you get do you kind of bristle a bit? Do you have like a reaction internal or external when you hear somebody wonder about that? What would be the impact on an athlete to have to wait four more years to compete again at the Olympic Games? Well, the first thing I, I say that um, I don't think like I know, you know, we talked about the uh, 
representing the Olympic values. But I think the Olympic values are more um, represented by the, the athletes versus the country itself. This, this is just my opinion. Um, in regards to having to wait, like I said, the, the, for people to actually make the Olympics, it's a very hard, like, like it's a very small portion of the world's population get the opportunity to, to do this. So, I mean, you know, waiting another four years, that might be too late for an individual, or maybe that was their moment, and now they'll never get that, that opportunity again. So, I mean, it's, it's for me, I, I can feel, because, I mean, I've already gone. So, it's like, you know, if I was to miss one, it would be different versus someone who's never gone before. And like I said, this could be um, uh, a life-changing um, moment for them, a life-changing moment for for other individuals that, that, that get to see them as well, too. So, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's, it, it is really tough to, um, with, with this decision. Yeah. We, we've got Jill on the live chat suggesting that maybe just Russia and the Americans should boycott. So Canadian athletes can win all the gold medals, which is maybe another strategy. Uh, before, before we thank you all for your time, Eric and Chris, I'm, I'm curious for both of your take on this as, as, as retired or former diplomats, you understand how it works. Uh, there's so much that, that you would understand that the average person wouldn't about dynamics and trade and the politics behind all of this. Uh, maybe we'll go to you first, Eric. Uh, ultimately, what does Canada risk here by participating in this? I mean, could we be talking about, I don't know, sanctions might be a strong word, but China can sure complicate trade of a lot of things. I mean, I was talking to a canola farmer this summer. I mean, the Chinese can make a big impact pretty quickly on Canadian exports. And one would expect that if that happened, the Canadian government would compensate the farmers as they did in 1980, uh, although we declared the boycott in that case. But um, the what has now happened is that it's quite obvious that we have gotten under the Chinese skin with this. And we've delivered a message. The trouble is they've delivered a threat. Uh, and this takes me back to a moment in 1984 in Ottawa when I shared on a, a dentist, of all things, with the Soviet ambassador. And we ran into each other in the waiting room one day. And he said, Mr. Morse, he said, I have not said this to my government. I will not say this to my government, but I'm saying it to you because you're in the business. I don't think we should go to Los Angeles. And I said, well, that's very interesting, uh, Ambassador. Why? Uh, well, because those SOBs didn't come to Moscow. And I said, well, you know why that happened? And he said, yes, I do, because you chose to pass moral judgment on an equal. You do not pass judgment on another great power. And I'm sure those are, the, they, uh, those are what the uh, Chinese are feeling at the moment. They're, they threatened retaliation. Uh, I don't know how they will retaliate, but if they say they'll retaliate, they will. I, I mean, we've seen messaging from Chinese officials just over the past year clapping back at Canada's prime minister, Justin Trudeau, with regards to Canada's history of residential schools in the context of genocide. Uh, so I know that the Chinese uh, have some strong opinions. They're not afraid to share. Uh, Chris, in closing, it kind of strikes me that there's I'm not trying to be dramatic, but risk all over the place. You argue that there, there could be risk that a diplomatic boycott doesn't go too far. There could be risk to the athletes if they participate, and there could be risk to Canada's economy if we carry this thing through. So, so how does an intelligent 
federal government or let me ask how does the federal government make an intelligent decision on this all risks considered well we need to look at all the risks and then we need to look at um the bigger picture of the olympics what we expect from them what we expect um to 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 be the context for them and the context this time isn't like Beijing Summer Games. It isn't like any of, of the other previous Winter Olympics in the last, you know, in my lifetime. Uh, it's it's more like 1980 when the Soviet Union was uh, really a threat to international peace and security, having invaded Afghanistan, or like Hitler's uh, event in Berlin and before that in Garmisch-Partenkirchen when he was a dictator waiting to do. Uh, his worst across Europe and already repressing his own people. The Chinese aren't invading other countries at the moment, but they're threatening it in Taiwan. Uh, they're doing it, they're repressing their own people through genocide at home. And we're a country that takes genocide seriously. We are dealing with the issues of our own past uh, better than we used to. We must not close our eyes to an even larger genocide that is happening right now that hasn't stopped, that's being denied by the Chinese. That would be inconsistent with our values. And how do we deal with it? We have actually more economic leverage over China. They have a huge trade deficit. We have a huge trade deficit with them. They export far more here than we export there. We should use that. And we have a voice that matters. Uh, we are a big player in the Winter Olympic Games. Uh, we are more able to speak about these issues, genocide, China, than other countries. Uh, we should use the opportunity now to live up to our values. It'll, it'll be painful in the short term, but it'll make the Olympics better and it'll make Canada much stronger over the long term. That's Chris Alexander, uh, former Canadian uh, diplomat, of course, a former federal minister of uh, citizenship and immigration, a member of parliament as well. Neville Wright uh, joining us, a former sprinter for Team Canada, seven time national champion, three time Olympian, hell of a guy. And of course, Eric Morse, retired Canadian diplomat as well. Eric uh, was personally involved, an active member of the uh, Royal Canadian Military Institute and that 1980 Moscow boycott campaign with the Canadian Department of External Affairs. Uh, gentlemen, appreciate all your perspectives, even when you agree from time to time that's all right thanks for making time for us thanks so much ryan Thank yeah you, you bet great to see you both great neville conversation thanks, hoyles nice job boy is uh is neville ever a likable guy hey i love those i love those stories the sprinters that that go to bobsled because they've just they like to state just the most obvious thing um once you're going you're going and then it's up to the driver to navigate that track but that explosion out of the gates those sprinters and what i love like you know you see those slow-mo videos that are <laughs> shot from behind and you see those those spikes their their track spikes just like dig in and they're spitting up these ice i mean bobsleigh is like one of the coolest i think you got to be you got to be we, we should have just maybe i should have just spent some time just with him be like take us into the psychology of bobsled like you've got to be I mean, luge might even be a little bit more bananas. Skeleton luge, skeleton, head, head yeah. first skeleton luge. I don't know, but bobsled too. When they crash and they go over, and you just wonder what it's like with their helmets just rattling against the what a sport. Yeah, I mean Neville is quite the athlete. He started off as a sprinter, yeah, um, and playing football. And that that conversion going over to bobsled, they really like they, they cherry pick. They definitely smart uh, b bobsled teams go and go like, oh, so you're pretty good. You're pretty good at yeah, pretty good at there. sprinting. What about pretty extending good. your career? Yeah, 
yeah, go right? winter side too. Yeah, I'm, I still can't my, wrap my mind around. On a, on a side note, Kaylee Humphreys, the, 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 the great Canadian now competing for the Americans. I can't wrap my mind around it. Multiple gold, Olympic gold medals for Canada now competing for the U.S. That's a wild one to wrap your mind around. Uh, I want to get to some of the comments from, uh, from audience members on this. Some really great insights. But first, I want to remind you that the team at Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food has great tips and tricks for for making the most of your dog's meals like you know obviously even if you're feeding your dog just straight up kibble you're like we get kibble at the grocery store it works just fine on their blog as well as on their instagram account they've got some great suggestions on things you can add to the kibble to help out with your dog's coat your dog's digestion maybe joint health plus they have their supplements if you check out the shop now link you can check out the alternative protein options supplements turkey dog food chicken beef all the products available to be, to be delivered to your door on a weekly basis calgary edmonton central alberta the promo code real talk gets you 10 percent off your first time order at granddog.ca that's granddog essentials quality raw food our friends at Friesen brothers i've been telling you about these these like basically take and bake that's not what they call them i shouldn't call it that that's my lazy branding here but they've got these holiday meals these christmas meals you can literally pick them up you do nothing more than put them in an oven for an hour that's it and check this out. Now, with apologies, if you're tuning in on the podcast, I, I shot this, this video here. This is one that we ate. Look at this ham dinner. Can you see the steam coming off of it? Can you see, like, are you, can you almost taste that just by seeing it? Those roast potatoes, those root vegetables, absolutely perfect. I looked brilliant to my family, and I did none of the work. You can learn more about that at Friesen.com. And don't forget, they've got those fabulous Christmas feasts going on Saturdays from 4 to 8 p.m. at all the Friesen Brothers, the ones that have the restaurants in-house. Unbelievable stuff. All-you-can-eat turkey and ham Saturdays from 4 to 8 at Friesen Brothers. Our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Sam, can you again just tell us about the blizzard that you had there the other day? The, the, The feature blizzard for December. It's like this hot cocoa peppermint Christmas holiday extravaganza blizzard again it's, not it's there one Brandon. that is uh it is so rich that i actually ate it in two goes i, I went, <laughs> went about halfway through it and there was just kind of like this, this is a lot it's a lot of flavor i'm gonna put it in the freezer for a bit um totally worth it it it's, is that that's a, somewhat of a contentious move isn't it you're nodding mm-hmm. like because yeah. when you put the dairy queen blizzard in the freezer it changes the the viscosity Gossity, yeah yeah it kind of changes it becomes more of an ice cream treat as opposed to like a soft serve treat and then you have to time it just right of like how much yes. do you let it thaw how much like how do you get it back to its original state still yeah. harder in the middle yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean i personally i i always need to enjoy my dairy queen blizzards immediately in one fell swoop in one box loop this. You can find these Dairy Queens <laughs> at Palisades, New Newcastle, Westmont, and Baseline Road. We could literally talk about this for 10 more minutes. Uh, Sam, by the way, I noticed you're wearing your Edmonton Elks t-shirt today. Now, they'll not be competing for the Chalice. Not on, one bit. On Sunday. Uh, it was Last a, place feels pretty good. It was, a t- it was a tough year for the Elks. However, uh, it, we would not. We, we, our, our, our Canadiana may be called into question if we did not mention it is Grey Cup weekend. Uh, you are the resident CFL expert here. Do you have a hot pick? Uh, you know, if people are going to basically take their kids RESP and wager it all on the outcome of the Grey Cup, do not do that. But if they were going to, Sam, who's your pick for Sunday? 
So uh, if you're if you're a CFL fan, you'll know that this is actually a rematch of the 2019 Grey Cup, which is the last time it was played. It's going to be Winnipeg against Hamilton again. Um, Winnipeg was consistently the best team in the league this year. Like I think that we got to give them credit for that. Uh, however, the scrappiness of the Tie Cats and the way that they won the you know the Eastern Final and uh, the fact that they have two real threats in Dane Evans and Jeremiah Onzoli, a quarterback, um, and and they have something to prove. And they're on home soil. I'm uh, I am picking the Tie Cats this year. Okay. Not. Not just because I think they're they're the better team going in, but also like they're my second favorite CFL team overall. Okay. Can we bet blizzards on this? <laughs> sure. You wanna okay, so you wanna bet so you're taking Winnipeg? Whatever Sam's not taking, okay, you I'm got, taking. You got Winnipeg. And all right, I, all right, I'll bet you And I will be like the uh, arbitrator. Oh, so you get Blizzard no matter what? I get a Blizzard yeah. no matter what. Uh, but I'll buy them. No, I won't buy the Blizzards because that's not a fun bet. No, that's not. But maybe I'll buy like some fun and fancy beverages or something Ooh. that we could have like with the, you know, with the Blizzards or or maybe I could pick up like flamethrower burgers for us all or something <laughs> fun like that. We'll see. Uh, the comments when it comes to the boycott, obviously this engaged audience, we don't have time to read all of them, but I love this. Uh, we're talking again about supply chain and how serious are we as Canadians when it comes to things I mean like you can participate in your own personal boycott uh, based on your convictions on where you buy your goods from and who you support especially around the holiday season right I mean Haas chimes in and says at this point for all intents and purposes we're hostages to the purchase of Chinese goods in the same way that we're hostages to fossil based energy sources interesting Corey says we need to do more than just a diplomatic boycott we need to put our money where our mouth is Eddie followed up, by the way, and said, with regards to this whole buy Canadian thing, we wouldn't have supply chain issues if we actually meant it. Uh, Dylan chimes in and, and says, you know, I'm waiting for other countries to start boycotting Canada over our ongoing genocide against indigenous peoples. Interesting point. Corey says the IOC needs to be torn down and rebuilt from the ground up. Well, this is from Jillian says about Hitler, you know, 1936, those games. Uh, did Jesse Owens say that Hitler shook his hand, whereas the American president didn't? Athletes are also able to use the Olympics to raise uh, awareness around political issues happening in their own countries. Lalazaz says one permanent location would change things. I've seen people argue that the summer games should always be held in Athens, Greece. I don't know where you'd hold the Winter Olympic Games if you were to pick one location. Well, new, like no man, not no man's land, like neutral Switzerland. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I don't know, I interesting random. switzerland probably be like we don't even want to be part yeah, of this whoa, conversation whoa, 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 we don't want to be part involved? of any of this like, jake jake says chiming in formula one says formula one disappointed me when they announced the new race in qatar also an interesting point and and i mean you know this is this to me this comes down to the ioc uh, and maybe this is the most obvious point of all time but to me, it shouldn't come down to individual nations having to say, like, listen, we got to take a stand on this this slaughter of Uyghur Muslims in China or the, the, the kidnapping of, of individual athletes or the kidnapping of Canadian business persons or, or, or whatever. Uh, to me, it's an IOC thing. Um, and and I thought I th fascinating comparison between the IOC and the Roman Catholic Church, wasn't it? And the Vatican, uh, you know, uh, I, I think you just need to let that sit and marinate because that was that one that kind of blew my doors off a little bit big time big time Gilles says in terms of supply chain our consumer expectations very different than 40 years ago right we we, we can have uh many many products now that we didn't have back then and we expect these products to be available and jill to add to your comment which i totally agree with we expect them to be affordable and we want them right now right i mean that that comes with trade-offs 
definite trade-offs. And I think, you know, we're going to continue to do those things and expect those things until, you know, there are so many floods and our supply chain is disrupted to the point where it's it's not feasible anymore. Yeah. So I, I think that our hands are going to be forced one way or the other. I feel like it's time to <clears throat> ramp things up a little bit. I don't know about the rest of you, but before we do, why don't I remind you that our friends at Local Waste Services... I always feel like when I'm reading this ad, like uh, talking about uh, waste and recycling collection on Fridays, I, I feel like the boxer that's like, you know, and like his trainers, I'm like, t- they're taping up my hands right now, getting me ready to go. Do they put the, they only put the uh, Vaseline on under your eyes after you get punched in the face, right? I think so. it's, it's not like, I don't think you're allowed to do it before. Do, do you want I'm somebody? out of my depth. I have no idea. Yeah. Do you want one of us to come give you a shoulder rub somebody, while you're warming yeah, up? Just, yeah. just nope. kind of ready to I'm go. Out, I've got houses out. out. <laughs> we have clear boundaries here in the Real Talk studio. <laughs> But before I throw on my like red velvet robe and they hit my entry music and I start rolling into the ring, I want to remind you that the team at Local Waste Services, is this vivid enough of a, of a, I could say before I start spitting blood and before I start having my chiclets rearranged by it, you know, um, the team at Local, they're like, would you just read our ad? Would you tell people what we do in Alberta and Saskatchewan, which is keep it local, a family owned business that absolutely has customer satisfaction is priority number one they're telling me stories Mikel, their ceo over there just a beauty of a guy tells me stories they've actually approached some of their clients their customers and said you know your bin should be a little bit smaller we're going to charge you a little bit less because you don't need these big massive bins right now if your business grows you need bigger bins we'll get your bigger bins but right now why don't we let your business grow with your needs why don't we let our relationship flourish that way that's the type of company they are at localwaste.ca you can learn more get a free quote online right now Every Friday, the team at Local Waste also gives us an opportunity to, to get a few things off our chest by way of emails to talk at ryanjesperson.com. It's a tradition we call Trash Talk. All right, got this one from G, who says, in a recent COVID update presser, the Premier of Alberta, Jason Kenney, couldn't get enough of emphasizing that this new COVID variant originated in Africa. I was actually counting how many times he insisted on mentioning that. At least four times. Now, I know Jason Kenney loves a good dog whistle, but when answering a question in French... The veil really slipped. About 59 minutes into the presser, the premier referred to travelers from South Africa as, and and pardon me, pardon, when I say pardon my French, I don't mean I'm about to have a bunch of expletives. I mean, like, actually pardon my French as des des étrangers, which means strangers. So uh, she says, see, this is what happens when you try to dog whistle in a language you're not comfortable in. Kenny knows the French word for traveler, voyageur, or passenger, passager. Heck, he could have even gone with tourist, touriste. And a real classy politician might have simply said, Canadien, as many travelers from these areas would be from our own citizens returning home. But no, he wanted something scarier. And in that moment, when he tried to find a scarier word than traveler, he landed on stranger. He crossed the line and completely othered people from Africa. And as a French speaker, I was ticked. So I wonder if the premier, would he admit to pandering to a xenophobic base or would he blame this on poor French? I guess I'll take whichever, as I know his ego couldn't stand admitting to either of those things. Regards, she says as she signs off. What about this one from Tyler, the tired nurse? He's back. He says, according to Alberta Health Services, they've indicated there are 260 employees that are eligible for daily testing as they are refusing to get the vaccine. These are not individuals with legitimate health conditions. These are people flatly refusing the concept of vaccinations to protect the greater good. I am a registered nurse, and I... 
I have received all of my vaccinations so I can provide care for immune compromised and vulnerable people. The thing is, I genuinely care about the health of the people in my job. And I don't know. I thought that maybe if I was the source of infection that killed somebody's grandmother, I'd be sick. If you 260 asshats truly wanted to help, you would have taken your flat earth believing aluminum foil hat wearing asses down to the pharmacy and you would have got vaccinated months ago. The thing is, I don't think you even want to help. I reject the premise of your employment. That from Tyler, the even more tired nurse. P.S. Like, really? Who the fuck are these people? Thanks, Tyler. What about this one from Patrick, who says, oh boy, Friesen Brothers might love this one. Patrick says, I'm all for doing my part to save the planet. I'm not perfect, but I did switch to driving a hybrid a few years ago. He says, I've reduced my water usage. I was one of the first of my friends to adopt LED light bulbs, and I really don't mind that we don't get plastic bags at the grocery store anymore. I've adapted. I bring reusable bags when I remember, and I don't mind paying 15 cents for a paper bag when I forget, but I want an actual fucking bag I can use that's worth my 15 cents. My local Safeway grocery store has now reduced the size of the paper bags three fucking times without reducing the price and I'm just waiting for the day I show up with my reusable bag and find a fucking paper lunch bag waiting for me to pack my groceries. Fuck Safeway! That from Master Corporal Patrick! This message not officially sponsored by the team at Friesen Brothers. And this one from Trudy! Trudy, I love emails like this. She says, I've been trying to listen to your very interesting guests talking about climate change, particularly as it applies to recent events in BC, but I found myself yelling at my phone just ask the fucking question already. I can rarely get through an entire Real Talk podcast. Ryan's interview style is so painful to listen to. The podcast should be called Ryan Talks, as you do more talking than most of your guests. You don't need two minutes to cite irrelevant minutiae to set up the question do you think we're stupid? I keep tuning in as I continue to hope you will figure this out. You have excellent guests, informative, entertaining, and they should be given the opportunity to speak. I turned off Real Talk and and I turned on Smartless. You might want to take a lesson from that podcast. When one of their hosts takes too long to ask a question, the other two call them out. I had to get this off my chest. It makes me crazy. That from Trudy. Trudy, I'll try to keep it tight. In the meantime, y'all have a great weekend. Coming up next week on the show, Chris Hadfield. Yeah, the Chris Hadfield. Plus, is it time for Alberta or the West to leave Canada? UFC professor Barry Cooper says yes. Senator Paula Simon says no. What does the proposed Roger Shaw deal mean for your mobility bill, your phone, and hybrid salmon discovered on Vancouver Island? What the deal? And how do they taste? Just kidding. More on next week's edition of Real Talk. Share, spread, rate, tell your friends, and we'll talk to you soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Editorial producer, Sarah Hoyles. Technical producer, Sam Brooks. Managing Director, Josh Dunford. Account Coordinator, Tanya Franklin. Merchandise Operations, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website Design, Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's Editorial Board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis Settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.